Today I would like to talk about church life and one aspect of it, care for one another. And I take the title, Care for One Another, from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25. Before we read that, though, I just want to say that this is a wonderful day. It's a unique day of the week where believers of Jesus Christ across the world come together to worship Him in local bodies. It's a group of people from various backgrounds, various ethnicities, various family structures, various ways of life, careers, and yet one thing brings us all together. We are part of something bigger than ourselves. We're part of a body of Jesus Christ. God has designed this day. He has designed these bodies to worship Him on this day. And His designs, His plans for you as a church are holy because God is holy. And He has called us to a life of holiness in Him. Everything that God does is with a purpose. Even this body here today at Heritage is called together with a purpose. That God has brought us, not just together, but first into His kingdom. And in that kingdom, He brings us together to worship as a local body. But we have to remember that in this bodily makeup we have here at Heritage, that we are not yet glorified. That sin still creeps in. Cares of the world creep in. And with that, selfish desires creep in. Usually all of the problems that start in a church come from self-centered people because that's what we are. And Mike very well told us this morning about that narcissistic attitude. I didn't know he was preaching on that topic. He didn't know I was preaching on this topic. This is working out very well that it, let me clarify before I go any further. I am not aiming this sermon at anybody. It's not to say that I'm seeing a lot of selfishness here and a lot of narcissistic behavior there and self-centeredness there. But after some conversations I have with some brothers after Mike's sermon, we realize that, you know, we all have that tendency to think of self first. It's just ingrained in us as sinners that we seek our own. So we all need a reminder. I tell you, I'm preaching this because I needed a reminder. But with this bodily makeup and these selfish desires, we start to see troubles come, uh, relationships fall apart, whatever it may be. But it all boils back down to this selfishness that we each have as individuals. But when we see each other as something bigger than just the next person, when you see each other as something different than just another person in a building, when we see each other as part of me and you a part of you, we realize that we are a body of Jesus Christ. We're not a bunch of individuals gathered in four walls to hear men preach. We are a body called together. And that is the body of Christ because Christ dwells in us with His Spirit. We are His body on earth. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 25 says that there should be no schism in the body, 
but that the members should have the same care one for another. Now, God in His infinite wisdom has brought this group of individuals together to bring about His will. And as we look at each other individually, we have to realize that each of us is made in the image of God. Genesis 1.26 tells us that all mankind was made in His image. This includes each one of you, gathered here today, made in God's image. Just that thought alone should cause us to look at each other differently than just another person in a building. But we're looking at fellow image bearers of God that were designed by God, called out by God, and brought to this church for a purpose, in this body for a purpose. In that same chapter, verse 18, he says, But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Now the previous chapter, Paul was speaking to the Corinthians and how they, the Corinthians and how they were supposed to be taking communion. They were getting disjointed in their communion. They weren't acting as a body together, even in their coming together to break bread and drink wine. They were doing it selfishly. So he's bringing them back together to a viewpoint of who are you in this church? Are we a church of individuals or are we a body of Christ? And then he goes on into this chapter 12 and starts speaking of gifts that the church has given. But his point in this chapter here, in verse 18, is to say he has brought you, individuals, together and placed us all in this body as he saw fit. Both in our gifts, both in our abilities, and I tell you, both in the church that he has you in. God has you here for a reason. God has us together this disjointed group of people together for a reason. Now, we are great of a, a part of a greater body of God's universal church of all believers, but there's something special about that local body of believers that God places us with, that we are fitly joined together with, that we go through the trenches with, that we're going through the hard times with, that we're feeling, as it'll say in these chapters, each other's pains, bearing each other's burdens, knowing each other's sorrows and feeling each other's joys. That is a body that understands. I have, I'm always talking about some medical problem I've got, but I've got this knee pain. The rest of my body is very well aware that that knee hurts. So should we as a body know when another member is hurting in their spirit, is hurting in their soul. At the same time, we should feel joy with other members when they're rejoicing over something. It should joy us too because we realize that they are part of the same body as I am. We have to take this individual mindset away and bring ourselves back to who has God called me to be in this church and where has He placed me in this church. And when we realize that each other is a fellow image bearer, of God, it puts a new light onto things. But isn't all mankind made in God's image? Yes. So there's something even more special about seeing the image bearers that are in this congregation. You are called out of a life of darkness into a, a life of light. We are the dead who have been called to life. That distinguishes us from the rest of mankind, the rest of creation. We were once dead and alienated sinners who have been brought to a life 
in knowledge and understanding of who Jesus Christ is. So since we're made in His image as mankind and we're bought with a sacrifice, we as Christians, God places us in this church together. And in that, God's place in this church is of the utmost importance to our walk together. Because we have all been called from the same darkness. And we have all been called into the same life of light and into the same kingdom. God has called each one of us individually out of darkness. He's opened each one of our eyes in His own way and in His timing and in His methods. But He has called each one of us out of a life of darkness, a life of sin. And He's brought each of us into the state of spiritual life in Him. And in that, He places us in a body. We were once alienated and alone. Now He brings us into a body because He has called us to life and He places us in a living body. He doesn't call you to life and leave you alone in this world to figure it out, to try to fight it on our own because we're going to lose that battle. If we try to do this alone, we're going to lose that battle. The old um, example that I used to hear growing up was if you, if you get a pile of burning coals and you take one coal out and you set it over to the side, eventually that coal goes out while this pile of hot coals together stays burning. But if you go pick up that coal that stops burning and you put it back into the pile of burning coals, what happens to that one individual coal? It reignites. It starts to light again. That is us in the spiritual walk. That's us when we don't have the care for one another in the church. When we don't think that we need the church body. We think that, I'm, you know, I might do this on my own. In fact, I might do it better without the church. It's full of people that bother me, don't have the same opinions as I do. They're looking over my shoulder, caring for me with what I do in life. So I'm going to go over here and do it on my own. And the result is we start to spiritually starve. Because God has designed us to be in a body, to help one another to stay ignited, to keep one another inflamed. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 tells us that He made alive you who were dead in trespasses and sins. Now that you are alive in Him, your life is meant to do something. It is meant to bring honor and glory, not to ourselves, is meant to bring glory and honor to God. So when we're placed in this body together, our goal, our lot in life, and should be our joy in this body is to glorify God. And we do that through the church life, through the church body. And we do this because He has called us, as we said, from a life of darkness into a life of light, bringing us into a kingdom. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 through 6 says, according as He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. He called us into His kingdom for His glory and for His pleasure. We as image bearers of God who are blood-bought are to bring glory and praise to God through our walk in this church. And then in that same chapter, verses 22 and 23, 
of Ephesians chapter 1, he says, And hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. We, church, are the fulfillment, the fulfilled body of Christ here on earth as he expresses himself now through his spirit in us, and we are the body with Christ as our head. So we've been adopted into a family. We've been adopted into a home. We've been adopted into a kingdom. So all of us gathered here this afternoon in this building are part of that purpose and that plan as spelled out in Ephesians chapter 1 that He predestined us. He has called us according to His pleasure to fulfill His will. And that is us here today fulfilling the will of God as a church. So as redeemed saints, our life both individually as a church body belongs to God. It's God that joins us together as a church body. So with this church, with this body, we are made into fellow citizens of His kingdom, part of a household which He bought, which He purchased with His blood, as Ephesians chapter 2, verses, we're not going to read all those, but 14 through 22 of Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read verse 14. For He is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And then come down to verse 18. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints of the household of God. And we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building, the church, fitly framed together, groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. Now yes, God lives in each one of us individually, but there is a special presence of God in His church when we come together as that building built upon the cornerstone of God. And the reason for that is, is it's not centered on you and me. That's what it boils down to. It is all centered on Christ. This whole thing that we're doing right now, standing up here preaching, sitting in the congregation listening, is not about me. And it's not about you. It's about who we are in Jesus Christ. That When we see that Jesus is the focus of why we come to church when we see that Jesus, without Him, without Him being that cornerstone that this building is set upon, if we try to pull that away, we see that everything crumbles. You can't be the cornerstone. I can't be the cornerstone. Only Christ can be the cornerstone. But you know what He builds His church out of from that cornerstone? You and me. The bricks. Just individual, meaningless bricks on our own. But put together and melded to Jesus Christ... We are a magnificent body designed by God to portray His glory on earth. The central point of all of this being together is to display the glory glory of God. 
weren't this fellowship that we have with one another, this life that we've been called to into this kingdom being called from a light of a life of darkness to light, from a place of alienation into a kingdom, we're not now called to live our life in a vacuum with no connection to God or no connection to one another. You don't have a Christian life in one box. And then over here I have my marriage in this box. And over here I have my work life in this box and my parenting in this box. It's all one big box. It's one life. We are not called to live individual, separate lives away from the church. Now, does that mean we all live at the church building and do every single thing together? Of course not. That's not practical. But what it means is my life, my focus, my everything should be focused on Jesus Christ and His body of which I am a part of and which you are a part of. And that should be our joy to care for the body of Christ, to be concerned for the body of Christ. It should be our desire to see one another thrive. It should be our desire to see one another repent from sins. It should be our desire to fellowship with one another, to just be in one another's presence as the body of Christ. You don't have... You, you, you don't have marriage separate from children. My wife and I live in this one house with all of our children. And I can't separate those because we were brought together into a family. And that's the same way that we in this church are. We have been brought together to be one, one body. Now this, does not, now this means that you can't live for yourself. You can't be self-focused and you can't be, as Mike told us this morning, narcissistic. Because when we start in that type of lifestyle, when we start to say, well, it's not best for me, it's not what I want the most, it's not what my heart desires the most, then we begin to live for self and not for others. As our text in 1 Corinthians 12 says, there should be no schism or disagreement in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. That means the same care that you would have over yourself is the exact same care that you should have for one another. Now, we all know that we love ourselves. Everybody cares for themselves. We feed ourselves. We want to have comfortable shoes, sleep in a comfortable bed, and make sure that we are taken care of and fed. And that should be our exact same goal for this church. Our heart should be that we love the church as much as, if not more, than ourselves, that we should love this body. So this means that we can't live for ourselves then, right? If I'm going to love the church more than I love myself, then I can't live for myself anymore. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 says, For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. You see, only in putting God first can we truly then know how to care for one another and to love one another. It doesn't mean living for my spouse first. It doesn't mean living for my children first. It means first living for Christ. Because when we first live for Christ, all of those other things, my spouse, the way that I treat her, my children, the way that I treat them, and this church, the way that I care about and love this church, comes under a completely different viewpoint than when I'm living for myself 
first. How do we do that? How do we care for one another first? Well, Paul gives us an entire chapter on that in the very next chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's because you have a love for the body. A love for the body. Not living for ourselves, but being unified as the actual body of Jesus Christ. We do this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the chapter of love, where it says that though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or tinkling cymbal. And then he goes throughout these verses to say, if I don't have charity, this is of no value. If I don't have charity, then this fails. If I don't have love, then this fails. But this word charity or love is, is unlike our English word of love. This Greek word agape, which we have all heard, is, is not used in the scriptures to refer to a romantic love. It's also not the Greek word of phileo that's meant for a brotherly love. But this Greek word agape love involves a faithfulness, a commitment, and an act of the will. It is distinguished from the other types of love by its lofty moral nature and its strong character because you have to give of yourself to have a true agape love for someone else to care for their needs above your needs this chapter here talks of agape in terms of you know it almost seems impossible when you start to read it and it is impossible to go through these when we're living as we heard this morning for self when i have self first desire first you will not be able to live 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We'll fail. And I would venture to say most of us have tried faithfully to live 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and realized all too often I just don't do a very good job of it because I always bring myself back into it. So how do you... How is agape patient? How is agape kind? How does agape keep from envy and boasting? How does agape prevent arrogance and rudeness? Because with agape, you don't insist your own way. How is agape not irritable or resentful? Because it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. How is this love able to rejoice in truth? Here's the hard one. To bear all things, to hope in all circumstances, and endure everything that comes its way. Because at the center of agape is God. Not me. Not you. Not self. At the very center of agape is God. It's the center of all the other loves that you could have, that I could have, that we could have towards each other. God is at the center of it. And this love that He is preaching to the church. They were disunified in the previous chapters of this book and he's having to correct them on it because they were all putting self above others. They weren't putting the care for the poor in their church. They were coming and eating their own bread and their own wine separately. Others had abundance, some had none. And he was saying, don't you realize that you've placed yourself above me? Because at the center of your love right now, it all focuses on you. But when you see yourself, not as individuals, but as a body, your focus goes back to who is the head of that body? Who is that body? It is the body of Jesus Christ here on earth, of which He is the head. 
If we place anything other than God, including each other, including our spouse, including our children, or including our church members at the center of our life, then our church begins to crumble. Our marriage will suffer. Our parenting will suffer. Because in our home and in our marriage and in our church and our parenting, you won't bear all things. You won't hope in all circumstances. You won't be able to endure everything that comes your way because a lot of things come your way. A lot of storms come your way. Our life will will never function in the beautifully designed way that God has given us in this church if we don't first have Jesus Christ as the center of our love, as the focus of our agape, as our complete focal point. Our greatest natural desire is always to gravitate back towards self. Because it's what's best for me, what I think I need. Our natural tendency is to love self, to put our own needs and desires and wants first. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Eve wanted more. She wanted that greater knowledge that she was deceived with. She had taken her eyes off of God. And in doing so, that Adamic nature still follows us. It's still wanting to better ourselves, to make better our own, or even, sadly to say, to be like God. But we see we are only truly like God, and we are only truly at peace in that knowledge is when we are under the submission of God and under His headship and His authority as the body of the church. Our greatest natural desire is back to self, as I said. Our own wants and our own needs. You know, your greatest hurdle in this church life is not going to be each other. Your greatest hurdle in this church life is yourself. That is our greatest stumbling block. It's me. Because when we take our eyes off of the greater body and we put it back on ourselves, we're going to trip over everything. We're going to trip over every brother and sister. We're going to stumble over every brother and sister. Because I took my eyes off of the head and put it back on myself. Will we have situations in the church where you have to work things out together? Absolutely. We're still uh, not glorified, as we said at the beginning. We're still dealing with that old fleshly nature. But we can't think that the other people in the church are our biggest problem. We have to go back to, am I putting God first in my relationship in this church? Am I putting God first in my walk in this church body? Is God my all in all in this church body and is His glory in His worship, in His honor, at the very center of what I'm doing in this church life. Our want to live for self is our greatest danger. And when we can recognize that danger, and we see that danger, and we can remember, as our passage tells us, 1 Corinthians 12, 25, that there should be no schisms in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another, to actually care, to love for one another, for each other's well-being, to be concerned for each other. But when we live in Christ, He's granted us both the freedom to no longer live for ourselves, but He's also given us the hearts and the tools 
to live for one another. He's given us the heart and the tools to be able to do this church life, which sometimes can get so muddied by the sin that we ourselves bring in. But He has given us the tools. And you know what one of those most powerful tools that He has given us in this church walk is? Each other. He has given you and me to each other as a body to walk together, to help each other, to correct one another, to admonish one another, to encourage one another, and to walk together. That's what agape love really boils down to. Taking less of me and more of God, and I do that through showing my love for you, the church. That's how we show it to each other is when we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Christ. And that, live, that love and that life for Christ is portrayed in how we, the church, love one another. I believe it's in 1 John. It says, How shall men know that you're my disciples? If you have love one for another. A church that's dysfunction, that doesn't show love for one another, that doesn't show the care for one another as a body, how are we to show the world that we're disciples of a loving and merciful God if we ourselves are not walking in love towards one another? But when we truly have an agape love, when we truly take that not self-serving, not self-centered, but a God-focused love and we place it on the members of the body, it changes the way that we begin to look at each other the way that we want to treat each other, the way that we want to walk together. God designed the first marriage with Adam and Eve to be beautiful. He designed it to be beautiful, but they corrupted it. And that old nature has followed us this whole way. But we at Heritage have the ability, through the redemption of Jesus Christ to be able to portray that beautiful marriage of God to His bride in the way that we treat one another, the way that we love one another, the way that we fellowship with one another. He has called you His own. He has bought you with a price. He's given you the hearts and the desires to live a beautiful life in Him as the body of Christ here on earth. So live for Him first in your marriage. Live for Him first with your children. Live for Him first in your work. And most importantly, live for Him first in this church. And when we do that, we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look in verse 12, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that body, being many, are one body so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And then back to our verse in closing. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. That there be no divisions amongst us. Looking back to see who we were before He brought us into this body. And to just see the joy that we should have in being part of the body. I'm thankful. I am thankful that God did not call me to walk this life alone. I am thankful that God put me at heritage. 
I am thankful that He gave us to each other to help each other. We have struggles, we have worries, and we have cares. And He gave us each other to help us through those. So today I just tell you, church, and I encourage you, be thankful that He has placed you in this body and care for one another in that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You in Your infinite wisdom that You have placed us where You have placed us. There are many other churches we could have been at, many other places You have called us to, but Lord, right now today, You have each one here that You need to be here, that You have called to be here. Lord, I pray that we just find beauty and joy in that plan, in knowing that we have each other, in knowing that we have a body, that we are not alone, that when one of us hurts, we feel it. When one of us joys, we feel it. And the Lord, we would take encouragement in knowing that we have brothers and sisters that we can go to, that we can reach out to in our times of need, in our times of worry, in our times of care. And Lord, may we be willing and ready and waiting and looking for the opportunities to go back and help them, that we could give each other a proper care. We know that we're going to have times in in church life where we don't agree or there may be something that we all don't see eye to eye on. But Lord, I pray that we all have the bigger picture of your glory in that and that we would just find joy in your plan of where you have placed us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray.